Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Independent Football Podcast. It's Monday the 25th of September and I'm your host for today, Jack Pitbrook, standing in for my absent boss like Rui Faria giving a sarcastic press conference. Today I'm joined by Miguel Delaney. Hello Miguel. Hello. And Sam Lovett. Hello Sam. Hello. It's bigger than the World Cup, better than the Premier League, more popular than the Super Bowl. We are always told how good the Champions League is and clearly it is the pinnacle of modern football. But in the last 10 years, it's changed from an even knockout competition that felt like it belonged to everyone to something that feels like it's the preserve of just a few countries and just a few teams. Last week, the first of the group stages was no exception. Look at the results. Celtic nil, PSG 5, Bayern 3, Andalek nil, Chelsea 6, Carabag nil, Feyenoord nil, Manchester City 4. This week, there are three games that stand out, with Dortmund against Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid against Chelsea and PSG against Bayern, but there are likely to be far more bad games than good ones. So the question for us this week is, what's happened to the Champions League? Is it good or bad? And how do we fix it? Miguel, you do as many Champions League games as anyone. Do you still enjoy the group stages? Um, find that, like the game I went to last week, or actually one of the two games I went to last week, one was just uh, almost a waste of time. Chelsea against Carabag, 6-0 thrashing. Um, the other was one of those games, Dortmund Spurs, that I enjoyed. But then there's almost kind of this, this mild surprise that you've enjoyed it because we now go into the group stage with the expectation that most of this is going to be a procession. And I think it is, it, it's sad to the extent because, and it's, I suppose there's a wider problem in, in, in football, we see the Premier League and, and, all, and, and the um, influence of economics or, or sorry, the current economic realities of the game. But I mean, the Champions League or the European Cup, it should be a competi- It should be a very democratic European competition that reflects and involves all of Europe. And we shouldn't really be going to these games resenting champions from quote unquote smaller countries competing. But that's what's what's happening. So it's got to the point where, as 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 really not as loathsome, but as kind of as unpalatable as a Super League is, it's almost become desirable because of the nature of the competition. Yeah, Sam, have you got any any good memories of Champions League group games in the last few years, or do you think it, it's a dead phase? Um, I'm, I'm quite inclined to agree with what Miguel said about the, the procession. Um, for me, it, it kind of provides a sort of you know a backdrop uh, story to the Champions League. It kind of adds to the anticipation and expectation of the competition. I think if it was uh, if it was to be taken away, you'd, you'd have that lost in, in a way. Is there anything that you can learn from it or that you have learned recently? It's still impossible to escape the feeling that the real competition starts in, in February. And, and when the draw happens in December, it's the same sort of thing. Now, that, that's not to completely write it off. I think there will always be, there usually is at least one surprise in the group stage. Like two seasons ago, Manchester United went um, went, went at the first round. But, but, but even then, I think that, uh, that's just not enough to mitigate against you know the, the predictability of most of it. And, okay, this... This um, year, we are actually somewhat lucky. I think we've got two particularly good groups. One of them is 
this group with uh, Spurs, Dortmund, and uh, and Real Madrid because that that should be, you know be properly. In fact, that's almost like one of those groups we saw just before the competition expanded to thirty-two teams. Those two years, and they had twenty-four teams, and it was like that amazing situation where when United won the treble and they were in a group with Bayern, Barcelona, and who were a pretty good brand, even though they got hammered, and and it was a case where. Only one team was definitely going through from the group and two of six uh, runners-ups. So that, that's what this group kind of reminds of. Um, Chelsea's group also seems quite competitive. Um, there's a the Red Bull Leipzig group, uh, although that, that's competitive because it doesn't have one of the heavyweights. Um, so it has. It maybe is fortunate this year, but again, that's just still not enough to shake off the idea that well, we know what we're going to see. But maybe we're, I mean, we're looking at it from a very neutral perspective. Um, if you sort of take the fans' perspective, you know, if sort of, these teams who, you know, who are like um, Carabag or mm. you know, like them, for for them that these away trips, you know, it's it's a magical experience for them, isn't it? You know, they're not going to get that that sort of away trip in any of their other fixtures, you know, in, in their leagues. Well, I, there is, and I've heard this argument. I do somewhat agree with, it, agree with it in the sense that Celtic have actually made a virtue of this situation, even, even though they're they're almost kind of the um, the poster club for the problem, and that they're they are. A, uh, club with a huge history, they're, they're one of the few to have actually won the competition. Now they have absolutely no chance of winning it. Really, really, like really, it, it, it would be, it would take a miracle mm. beyond Leicester. Um, but yet they've actually managed to turn their home game, home Champions League games, into proper events, dis- despite that. But again, you you do wonder how sustainable that is. Yeah, I think Celtic is an instructive example mm. of a team that used to be big in the context of European football, now isn't, and have nevertheless managed to make it interesting or worthwhile. They're being there. I was at I was at Feyenoord last week mm. for their for their game against City, who you know like Celtic have won the European Cup before, like Celtic are champions of their country, you know come from uh, you know an even stronger league you'd have to say an even stronger football nation than Scotland, and they were terrible. Yeah, like they were awful. They didn't contribute anything to the game at all, and City destroyed them. And when you're seeing the champions of Holland get taken apart like that, yeah. that's when you start to think, oh, hold on a second, like the this this is too imbalanced. Like, yeah, and even. Uh, it's actually only 20 years, or le- less than 20 years, when United... Actually, no, it, it, it was that season, 97, 98, so 20, year, tw- 20 years since United went to Feyenoord, and it was when Ferguson was properly growing that United team, and it was seen as a kind of a, a quite a big step that, wow, suddenly United were going, because like, the season before they got to the semis, but in a kind of, they'd lost lo- lots of games 1-0, but they got to the semis, or sorry, they, they beat Feyenoord and went relatively easy, and Feyenoord, wow, that, like, this was considered quite, quite a big step to beat a, beat a side of Feyenoord's possible calibre. Whereas, whereas now, for, to come to this situation, where they're just completely, <laughs> you know, <laughs> discardable. Sam, how much do you think this is an English thing in terms of our attitude to the Champions League, or do you think that there's more enthusiasm in Europe than there is than we have here for it? I, I yeah, I think I, I agree with you on that. Um, I mean, <laughs> a team like Real Madrid, they're, they're not going to complain, are they? You know, with the, the current format, um, because it's given them so much success in recent years. But for English clubs, the, you know, the group stages are, you know, sort of it's like a chance to wet their appetites, sort of to get bedded in, get ready for the, for the latter stages of the competition. Um, you know, it is a Having said that, though, obviously, they need to prove themselves against the competition's biggest sides. You know, that is, at the end of the day, that's what they're there for, isn't it? And obviously to win, so. But there was even a strange situation with the uh, Chelsea game against Carabag, where evidently Antonio Conte rests a lot of his players. Now, that is the flip side of 20 years ago, where I, where I remember, again, English clubs going into it, and no matter who they were playing, they would, they would rest players for the previous weekend's Premier League, 
it, remember say again United because they're in the competition so often at that point and they were the only representative when they played Cassiche you know play a full strength team with the idea we're going to get off to a strong start in the group stage we need this so we can't take any chances where that situation have completely flipped and they're actually you know, keeping players fresh for the Premier League and I don't want to keep harking back to 20 years ago but it is like when you when you look at the numbers look at the figures look at the games and look at the um, more, more importantly than anything, than anything the kind of the vari- variety and vitality of the tournament it's impossible to escape the fact that it was it, it did feel a much more vibrant competition 20 years ago and a classic example of that is so, someone like Dynamo Kiev where you know they actually they've been off the radar a little bit for for some time but then suddenly exploded onto the European scene again into that Champions League with a 4-0 win at Camp Nou with just a really good young team and what's more they were able to keep that young team together for a good two, three seasons whereas now it's actually it's, teams are ripped apart like quicker than ever before I think what's um, what's depressing is that these that teams like that that we grew up with mm-hmm. like Dinamo Kiev they would come along and I think it's fair to say that no no viewers of football yeah. in the UK would have known anything about them. Yeah, yeah. With the possible exception of one or two big names. Whereas now, because of how, because of the concentration of good players in the good teams mm. and the amount of knowledge that football fans have, uh, not just knowledge about the football itself, but also through computer games, yeah. there's like the idea of a team coming along with a bunch of players you've never heard of. Mm. It's not really going to happen again. And that was one of the... Attra- I mean, this is, again, this isn't just to do with the Champions League. This is the case in World Cups as well. Yeah. But that the, that kind of exoticism has completely gone. And I think that, that, you know, it's fair enough to say that something has been lost by the fact that we don't have that anymore. Yeah. But I, I also, just the hoarding of so many players. In fact... I think this is why Real Madrid are particularly symbolic champions, I mean, not, not just because of their history in the competition, the, you know, the most successful team were finally ones retain it, but they've, almost, they've taken one of, the, one of the wider problems with the disparity in football to it, its extreme and made it a, a, a huge virtue for them in that they've probably put together what is the best squad in the history of the game. And I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that. It may not be the best 11 ever we've ever seen, but in terms of the depth of that squad, I've never, we've never seen anything like it. And it, it, that creates a problem because I think in previous eras, um, you just would have seen more quality, more spread out. And again, you know, cl- clubs from other countries would have been able to keep their better players for that bit longer. And, and that bit longer does make a difference. Um, e- even Ajax, who again, are, are put forward, Ajax 95 forward as a team that was ripped apart so quickly and so cruelly. Yet they, it, it actually... Lots it, of those players stayed until 1997. Yeah, yeah. They had a few more goes at it even after winning in 1995. Yeah. Whereas look at Monaco last year who got to the semi-finals uh, in basically their first proper push towards yeah. the back end of the tournament and then half the players have left. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly it. I mean, can you imagine if that Monaco team got set together for one more season, the experience they would have had, the confidence from being champions, what they could have done this year. And again, they're, they're a classic side like that. I mean, I think we're going to move on to this, but I think it's probably relevant now, but in the sense that you, you often, there is a sense sometimes, and I think it was a particular case more so in the 2002 World Cup and then 2004 Champions League where everyone loves the shocks and then suddenly in a World Cup, say, it's Senegal against Sweden in the quarterfinal or, or Turkey against uh, Korea. That didn't happen, but it could have. Um, and people are, oh, well, where are the big guns? But I don't think people mind that if the teams are exciting and high quality rather than, and I don't want to demean... Um, Porto or Mourinho's achievement in 2004 because what he did to, to bring a team a, a club like that to that level was a sensational it was a miracle almost but they weren't a particularly attractive side to watch whereas if you see one of these quote unquote unfashionable teams with properly good players and pro- proper kind of crackling uh, vibe to the team it's, it's hard not to be impressed and we 
Monaco were that for some of last season, and it's a pity that they weren't able to sustain it more. So you're, what you're saying that the underdog story can only go so far, then up until a point where yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's and, and, and in turn actually puts people off underdogs in that way because just the underdogs aren't allowed to develop in the manner they would have been. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. No team had retained the Champions League since Milan in 1990, but Real Madrid have now won it three out of the last four years. What does that, what does that tell us about the modern competition? Uh, again, I think they are very fitting champions that way because they have taken some of the some of the main I suppose one of the most def- defining issues and principles of the modern Champions League and kind of distilled them to a more, into a more effective way than anyone else again as I was saying in terms of both buying the biggest stars and just stockpiling talent uh, I think th- I think that is the lesson of their uh, of, of their three wins in four um, where, and it's, I think it's quite interesting sense that where, whereas basically Barcelona did it, they became this era, this era-defining team through an idea and bringing a philosophy through to its kind of extreme point. And, and I think there was an element of Barcelona that was just—it's it's almost like one of those perfect storm. It was just a perfect moment in history where they had the right squad, the right best player in Messi, the right atmosphere, and then exactly the right coach to maximize all those qualities in Guardiola. Um, it is amazing, given kind of the peaks they reached, particularly in terms of the football they played, how they've actually been surpassed. Well, it's certainly in the Champions League, um, because this Real Madrid side has, has won more trophies, more Champions League in a shorter space of time. But they haven't done it through that. They've basically done it through essentially um, <laughs> maximizing the, 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 I suppose, the defining qualities of these super clubs. Yeah. I mean- I was going to say, I can't argue with that, but I think we have to appreciate that football is obviously cyclical mm. in nature, isn't it? I mean, looking at the numbers, uh, so what was it? So before 2013, you know, Real Madrid mm. hadn't been in the final. Yeah. And obviously between 2005 and 2012, excluding 2010, English teams were always in, mm. the, in the final. So, you know, in five years' time, it could be a very different story, couldn't it? But that is the interesting thing about Real, because... I mean, for so many years, and particularly when Barca were at their best around 2009 to 2010, the accusation of always with Real was always, well, they just spend money and they'll never get that better idea. Whereas what they did then was basically spend more, spend money much more intelligently. And it's, it's allowed them, and in an era where money has kind of, has conditioned the Champions League by like never before, mm. um, they, 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 they've shown how to best use it. Does that suggest that the current Real Madrid dominance is of a different type than 
say the you know great Real Madrid dominance of the past, or Bayern Munich, or Ajax, or other other dynasties that have that have dominated for a while. Um, weirdly, I actually think it's um, very in keeping, and it's interesting at that point on on, <laughs> on it being cyclical because I think this is much cl- in terms of all the great Champions League sides and European Cup sides. This Real in makeup is much more like the 50s Real Madrid than, than anyone else. Now, and again, this isn't a criticism, but I think this, it is a fact. Like, it, there isn't any kind of overall guiding football principle. To they're not like Ajax. They're not like um, not even like they're not like Liverpool 77-84. They're not like Barcelona, most recent Barca, in terms of just just having this idea that everything's everything's taken from. Rather, it's just a collection of supreme talent. And again, j- just like in from 55 to 60, with one supreme star in Cristiano Ronaldo or Alfredo Di Stefano, who was almost more important um, as, as any of the managers. I mean, in the 50s, they, I think it was four different managers that won the European Cup. might be correct on that, but I'm almost certain that's the case. Um, and this time, we've had, we've had two managers winning three with, with Zidane only taking over mid-season. And while I don't want to kind of... I think Zidane has done some good things. There is a sense that that job is just about coming in and kind of almost facilitating and caretaking the, the immense talent that's there rather than putting a proper manager, managerial stamp on the team. And that was precisely the case in the 50s. And you wouldn't say that about you know, the, the Inter of the 60s. You wouldn't say that about Ajax of the 70s or, or pretty, much, pretty much any of, the, of those other kind of great era-defining teams. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you wouldn't... Um, you said there's no great idea behind Real Madrid, but then is buying the best players an idea? Well, <laughs> buying, I've got an idea. We're going to buy Tony Kroos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. And it, well, uh, there's no not not great idea, but there's no great tactical football philosophy there. Is more what I'm saying. No, there's no kind of innovation behind it. And it's in the, but that's basically it. They brought in Modric and brought in Kroos, and because of the intelligence of those two players, those two players have almost imposed a football idea on that side. I mean, because they, they always just control a game because th- those two are just so good. Uh, there's an argument. I think they're the, they're the best midfield pairing in history. But what about this season? I mean, they've made a very slow start, haven't they? In the Liga, Barcelona are obviously doing incredibly well. Mm. Could this maybe suggest that this season is sort of Real Madrid coming to the end in terms of I, th- I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah. Also, they've now set a model. Like, I know for a fact that Chelsea and Man City have been looking at the Real Madrid model now because it's been so effective. Because what Real Madrid have done really well, having brought in all these stars, they basically prioritise signing the best 2023 20, year olds in the world. Going to just create... and. It, it's, so it's not even doing it in the sense of kind of buy, buying in the best 17 and 20 year olds. It's kind of buying these ready made players that have proven themselves and are ready to step in, like the, like, the likes of Asensio. Um, it's just, I mean, there's just a, so much quality in that team. Does this mean that we won't ever see again a sort of Red Star Belgrade winner? I think there's always going to be a chance uh, with Leicester. Obviously, as a Leicester fan, <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed that season immensely. Um, and I, I think they point to the fact that it, there's always a possibility. I know, obviously, they only got to the champ, um, the quarterfinals, uh, but given the nature of the competition, you know, it's knockout. It, it can still happen. But this is the fundamental issue, though: the fact that we are seeing the champions of England, one of the biggest leagues. The fact that Borussia Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, two historically massive clubs, the fact that they are seen as almost surprises or they well had Atletico Madrid had been until Simeone kind of made them a battle hardened experienced your champion Champions League side but in fact they are seen as surprises sums up the issue here so I think I think the, the gap is just too big it, I, I don't think unless there's a massive um 
redistribution of wealth in European football, I can't see anyone outside the top three, four leagues winning it, winning it again. It's amazing to think that in two of the last three Champions League finals, the underdogs have been Juventus. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the biggest, richest, most powerful clubs in the world who have, uh, you know, thrown their weight around to get things their way over the years in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Uh, which I think, you know, like you said, that is, that is a measure of the imbalance and in like the that, system. That, that was one of the really depressing things and discussions I thought came up that despite the magic of Celtic Park and all that, the night of the PSG Celtic game, when it's pointed out, a lot of people are pointing to the difference between Celtic's wage bill and their expenditure against PSG's. But yet then, you just take that down a level and look at Celtic's wage bill and expenditure compared to the rest of Scotland. And it's like, it's like that it's at all levels of football now. Do you think that fans and viewers across the world, do you think they want more unpredictability or do you think they prefer the familiarity of, of the elite? Well, this goes back to what we were saying earlier, doesn't it? They, you know, fans like the underdog story up until a certain point, but once it gets to the final, and it's two teams who are pretty much irrelevant, mm. you know, fans switch off. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to to an extent, I think. But ultimately, there's no getting away from the fact that you know we see when it when it comes to the semi-finals, you you're almost predispositioned to want you know, the big the big clubs have to be there, and if it's if it's someone kind of that's not big there. It does kind of shine a second half the season, but again, that comes back to why it didn't feel like that with Monaco in the way it did with some some other semi finalists because you could see this is a properly good team. And I, I you know, ultimately, I think despite what people want, um, I suppose I mean, and this is this is a discussion that really that goes beyond football. Like, um, it goes to stuff like you know the commissioning of series like the Sopranos and things like that. You know, and I think David Chase actually discussed this. That the people think they want one thing, but then can be surprised by what they actually like. Well, yeah, like if you like EastEnders you got, and you turn it on, you're going <laughs> to want to see Danny Dyer and Phil Mitchell. <laughs> you're, and the same way, if you turn on the Champions League semi-finals, you don't want Schalke to be there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You want it to be Ronaldo and Messi. But, but, then, but then what if that... Then you turn around and think, right, this is going to be procession. And then the Schalke team is suddenly... Well, they're, they're playing a properly good football. They're really pulling it up. This, this, is, this is a good game. And it falls down to a case of whether or not they deserve to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if a team has sort of fluked its way throughout the competition, reaches the semi-finals or finals... That's not what people want to see. They want to see a team that have worked hard for it mm -hmm. and who deserve to be there, as was the case with Monaco. And you can, and you can always sense that as a, as a I think as a as a cam campaign goes on as well, whether kind of they're justifiable semi-finalists. I mean, like I mean, even again, this isn't Champions League; it's World Cup. But in, in two thousand six, I mean, you, Ukraine, uh, I, um, who the core of that Ukraine team was basically Dynamo Kiev of the uh, of the late nineties, early two thousands, which with Shevchenko le leading the side. And they got to the quarterfinals, and that was kind of a historic, a historic performance for, for what was still a relatively young country. And yet, it was impossible to escape the feeling that this was actually a poor Ukraine. They said they got hammered twice in the tournament, um, and that they had they had better teams beforehand um, that that didn't make it that far. But I suppose the point being that because of its nature, it's a knockout, a knockout tournament. A side like that can can still kind of you know wax its way through, and you know that they're eventually going to get found out. Whereas <laughs> the type of underdogs you want, I suppose, are those that are properly putting up to the big clubs in a you know in an assertive way like like monaco last year yeah. i think were probably the most for the reasons you said the most attractive and therefore the most popular underdogs we i think we've seen for sort of 10 but 15 yeah. years Ma maybe since what in terms of kind of um not necessarily an outsider but outside the biggest names so deportivo yeah the deportivo of Villarreal, yeah who lost to arsenal in the semis uh, Malaga briefly had a good run in 2013 but yeah. they were knocked out by Dortmund 
Yeah, well, actually, actually, to be fair, Dortmund are probably like the, the Dortmund team of kind of 2012. Well, actually, they got knocked out early in 2012, but, but the one that got to the final in 2013. But even then, all of these best underdogs, mm. whether it's Monaco, Dortmund, Villarreal, Deportivo, are just you know the quite good teams from the very best leagues. It's yeah. not the same as a Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that says a lot, I think, about the um, you know about the stratification of wealth in European football. Yeah, which br- brings us on to the next point, which is. Given these imbalances in resources, is this so, is there any way you can solve this through the format, or do, would you have to go to the source of the problem to fix it? I don't think we'd be able to make changes to the current format and and then get a better result uh, as a, uh, from that. I think what we'd need to do, you know, you you have to have a breakaway competition that you, as with the proposed uh, Super League. I just don't, th- I mean, what can you do? Uh, these imbalances in resource and wealth, c- can we sort of say to teams, oh, you need to stop spending, you know, mm. so much on this and that? It's it's just not viable. And I think there's a potential interesting split here. Uh, well, first of all, we have the Premier League clubs are obviously their own block. And the Premier League has become such that there is an argument that they don't really need the Champions League in the way that other European clubs do. Um, I have been at... Uh, private dinner with uh, an official at one of the t- from one of the top two Spanish clubs and this guy was rather indiscreetly speaking about how they don't want to uh, it's not it's not in their interest to to play clubs like Athletic Bilbao and Osasuna he mentioned that they, they and a Super League is desirable for Re- for Real and Barca um, and I, I think actually Catalan independence could be uh, quite an, an interesting little um, influence in, in, in that uh, dynamic and then you have clubs like Juventus now, who I think um, the, the current Juventus ownership has actually been talking more expansively about how it's time to redistribute in Europe to kind of give to get clubs like the Portuguese clubs, the Dutch clubs, like Celtic, who are all pre all previous champions in competition, to to, to try and get, create a situation where they're able to kind of you know assert themselves a bit more again to redistribute some wealth. So there are a few different kind of power blocks here. Um, and ultimately, without some, essentially, without without the kind of massive economic realignment of the game that just feels impossible, I don't think the situation can change. Um, I think we're, I think what we're gonna, we're going to end up with, not necessarily Super League, but just a kind of a Champions League hybrid that has a lot of the qualities of a Super League, but still isn't quite one. It's a shame, though, isn't it? It just it just seems so much more elitist. So much more distant. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be quite as much magic. Yeah, sort of sentiment. I mean, I'm I'm a sen- I'm quite sentimental on this, this aspect of the game. But I just feel it, it would be a massive shame just to lose all of that. Yeah, but that's, but that's it. But the situation now. I mean, even though there is still enough uh, variety in the competition just to kind of sustain it and kind of mitigate those arguments. Um, it comes back to what we're saying. The the economic situation is such that e- e- even though uh, Super League is unpalatable, it is it is desirable just because you want it, it's not it's not necessarily about wanting to see the big teams against each other. It's want to see it's wanting to see properly competitive games, um, and unfortunately that basically th- that needs to involve the, the super clubs at this point. Do you think it would likely uh, be an evolution out of the current Champions League format rather than a breakaway new competition outside of the boundaries of UEFA? I I'd say probably the former. Yeah, it would be kind of an ev- an evolution of the current format. Or, uh, do you think that the format changes coming in next year, guaranteeing more places for the bigger leagues, are a step in that direction? Yeah, completely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's impossible not to look at it any, any other way. Miguel, how much do you think that our discussion of this is informed by the fact that for lots of English teams, 
the Premier League is simply more of a priority than the Champions League. Uh, this sounds like a very convenient excuse given English underperformance of the last years. And I, I don't completely buy the argument that the competitiveness of the Premier League has uh, negatively influenced those performances in the Champions League. But in saying that, I think the Premier League has become so all-consuming and that the, the competi- um, the, and the very fact that there, there are six, six clubs at the top end of it competing and it's so difficult even to get into the top four means that I think now it's a bigger priority for the English clubs to compete against each other and to outdo each other at home rather than domestically. Um, so whereas I think with almost every other European club or every other major European club, the Champions League almost, it's, it adds a higher, le- to win it, adds a higher legitimacy to their success, their domestic success. And I think that's particularly true. Of, like, I mean, Bayern, Juventus, the, the, those kind of super dominant clubs, they really need it. Um, but given the dynamic and the history of the two, Spanish big two as well, it adds an extra level to that. And the Champions League has always been the kind of the ultimate argument ender. And when it's just when it's really just to, those two going for it with Atletico just underneath, um, you know, it, it means there's always one up from the league. Whereas in England now, it's just because it's become so unpredictable and so um, and and the Premier League and and that that race so demanding. I I, I think we we've seen in some of the European lineups this season that yeah, it, I think, I mean you you touched on it as well, but do you think? English clubs would rather win the Premier League? I think they would now. I think so, yeah. I think the Premier League is... The the Premier League has become bigger than everything it's ever come into contact with. Yeah. Whether it's the you know the Football League, the England national team. Yeah. I think now even the Champions League is going the same way. I think for all sorts of different reasons, the Premier League is such a yeah. kind of hegemon that, you, that d- nothing matters more. Well, the, the one thing I would say in that... Um, and well, I, suppose, I suppose the figures say something else as well, and, uh, and it is. I don't like to keep dis- distilling this and distilling the magic of a, ter- of a competition like the Champions League down and some, something with such prestige down to the pure numbers. But it is a fact that you get much more money in the Premier League. In saying that, the one thing the Premier League lacks, in contrast, Champions League, and, and it's going to be interesting about how things develop. The, the, the Premier League doesn't have this big Super Bowl style mega event at the end in the way the final is, and I, I do still think that the properly latter stages of the Champions League are still are still probably the, the biggest thing in club football. But the fact it takes so long to get to that and so much of the Champions League season feels kind of lesser compared to the Premier League is itself instructive. Do you think that we're all just being very Brexit about this and looking down on a otherwise respected international institution? Uh, well, no, because of the fact that I mean, it would be true if it was only English people con- concern or British people concerned with the with the in- English top division, but that's simply not the case. Um, like the international interest in the Premier League is massive, and I mean, I don't have the figures to hand, but I think it would be interesting to compare com- compare international audiences with, with both. And I think that's the issue with the, with the with the Premier League as well, and why this isn't a Brexit argument, in that the Premier League is no longer really an English league. It is, to some extent and purposes, the Super League that many big clubs want. This Super International League, just, just without those big clubs, because it's, beca- it's become such a concentration of, at the moment, coaching talent at most of the, um, the best players in the world, bar the true top band. But you would wonder whether that will you know, continue to evolve and change. I mean, the, the, in fact, uh, I think it's quite a necessary thing that Europe has that, that the fact that it's the Spanish two that still attract the truly 
elite players because at least it's it's a it's a it's a necessary counterbalance to the uh, to the financial strength of England. Yes, I think that's I think that's fair enough. And how do we think the English teams will actually do in the Champions League this year? Have any of them got a chance? Um, I, to be honest, I've said this every season for the past five seasons. I think this the recent bad run will end just by virtue of the fact that I think these teams are better than they have looked. So I do think we could see one or two semi-finalists. Uh, also, I think there's been an, a lessening of... I mean, Bayern have had problems in the in the league. Barca are just not what they were, but they still have Messi. Um, I think Re- like, I mean, Real Madrid should win it again, but again, b- just by virtue of the fact that it's a knockout competition and, and Real are a club that have won it when they haven't been the best club in Europe. Um, you know, it, it, I suppose that that is the, one of the one of the beauties of the competition. Still, despite all its problems, that uh, on one night anything can be disrupted in that way, uh, and that is why I think an English English team can still do well. And also, I think now it's going to be uh, much will depend on how much Guardiola himself prioritises the league. Although he's obviously been very, he always has a very continental outlook anyway. But I, I think City could be dangerous in the Champions League this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think City are the team to back. Uh, with this, but the qu- it's the same question in the Premier League. You know, how will their defence hold up mm. against sides like PSG and Real Madrid? So I think if they can, you know, sort out the back line, I think they have got a real mm. chance of going further. Well, actually, I know we kind of, for, for, for all, for all, we've kind of criticised the group stage for most of this discussion. I am very interested. I'm, go- I'm going to the game on Wednesday, PSG and Bayern. I think that could actually be one of the most influential and um, significant games this season. Because it will say so much about the curl. We'll, we'll, we'll finally get to see ju- just how good this this PSG really are. Because it, it has been a little bit hard to judge so far. But also, it's interesting that it comes against one of the one of the three clubs that are almost kind of a, a fixture in the semi-finals for the, for the past half decade to a decade. Just at a point where we don't really know where they are right now as well. So it, it, it's a, actually a usually engaging fixture, that one. Yeah, I have to agree that the big teams look slightly weaker this mm. season than they have done in the last few years and that ought to make a gap for one of the I think in, I think it's fair to say that City United and Chelsea are all better now yeah. than they have been for a while that said I wonder if we're going to head into a kind of 2013-14 style three-way title race yeah. in England which would be fantastic for viewers and for us but on the other hand would necessarily detract from the chance of those teams competing that's in true yeah it's, and at the same time again and a comes back to that almost remaining unpredict- the glorious unpredictability of it. But once, if you can get to a quarterfinals, you um, you really almost need kind of one, two good performances, a little bit of luck, and suddenly you, 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 you could put yourself up among you know Europe's greats and you know, really make a mark on history. Making a mark on history is what we do every week here at the Indie Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. For anything else, please go to independent.co.uk forward slash football and you'll be able to download our next podcast this time next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.